Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Off-season episode number 32 coming in hot on this Tuesday morning Pacific time. That's where I live. You guys get stuck with slightly later releases if you're on the East Coast. There was a time... It was a couple of years. My wife did medical school in Michigan, so we were on Eastern Time for a few years there, and I used to do a podcast. This is a long time ago now, but I got it done pretty early in the day. It's just easier when you're on that timeline. So anyway, whatever. Welcome to the show. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Bespris. This is a sports ethos presentation. Sportsethos.com, the website. Hey, I'm going to keep bugging you guys. Follow Ethos Fantasy BK. B-B-F-B. Those are the three. First of all, you guys know the basketball one already. That one should not be a surprise to you. But the baseball one has daily podcasts, Monday Monday through Friday. Football one has three weekly podcasts and will actually have football content, like written stuff, news blurbs, all that stuff is going to be coming on the football side really soon. So please go follow Ethos Fantasy FB. It is going to become your football resource, the way that we are here on the basketball side. Ethos Fantasy FB, Ethos Fantasy BB, and then basketball you probably already follow. Thanks for listening as always, everybody. Pleasure to have you aboard. Uh, whatever the hell day of the week it is, I don't. I, I generally have a, a an inkling. I have a clue based on like what things I need to do on the family side. Oh, it's Tuesday because Tuesday is the day we need to do this for you know, whatever, kid X, kid one, kid two. It's easier to think of them as thing one and thing two. Dr. Susian. We got the Indiana Pacers on today's show. We've got a uh, another NBA blowout to look back on. We've got Warriors-Mavs, Golden State, a chance to close things out in a sweep. And... Look, I don't think we can talk all that much about the playoff game today. It's a really weird one. Dallas is favored by one. The Warriors have won the first three. I, I don't know. Like, what's the... No one's ever come back from a 3-0 deficit in the NBA. So why would why would Dallas feel like they're different? The line is probably pretty good. The total of 215.5 is a tiny bit on the high side, given the way that, that Dallas in particular would like these series to be going. But at the same time, they haven't really been able to slow down the Warriors. Golden State has done their part in this series. They've gotten to the mark. Two of the three games have gone under because two of the three games Dallas didn't get to their mark. So what do we think is going to be different about this one? It doesn't feel like the Mavericks have figured anything out to this point other than like they need to just shoot the three-pointer better for a full 48 minutes and not 12 or 24 of them. So I'm inclined actually to leave this ballgame alone. From a pace standpoint, what we've seen so far is that the games are pretty close to where that posted total should be. Uh, They are slower in Dallas, but at the same time, remember, if Dallas scored the correct number of points based on the number of possessions they had, then that game probably would have been, I would say, a little, tiny bit over. Well, I guess it's about right. Yeah, okay. It's pretty close because the Warriors did go over their expected mark by like five or six points. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's slowing down a little bit in Dallas, but then you have that 
uh, you have that closeout thing where do the Mavericks come out and shoot the ball really well? Do the Warriors kind of take their foot off the gas? Do they not concentrate as much on defense? I hate it. I hate everything about whatever's going on with this ball game. Can't stand it. Got no angles, nothing. But to those of you that listen exclusively for the fantasy chatter, you'll be pleased to know that today's shorter episode is very heavily fantasy. And today we talked the Indiana Pacers, who had a bad, bad season. They haven't really been a worthwhile team since they let Nate McMillan go, but they did retool things dramatically in the middle of this year by getting rid of Demonis Sabonis, who by all accounts was kind of the centerpiece of whatever they were doing out there in Indiana, um, and some peripheral, you know, that Justin Holiday went along with it and stuff like that, and they ended up with Buddy Heald, who still has two years left on his deal, as kind of the main veteran coming back and then the key piece in all of that was Tyrese Halliburton who's on a rookie scale deal and that's financially very responsible of the Pacers who still are committed to a few pretty big pretty goodly contracts this coming year Miles Turner 18 million dollar expiring deal Malcolm Brogdon 22 and a half mil for three more seasons folks picture this nightmare scenario You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly. The go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area. Find the best deals on game day drinks and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Which is why, by the way, the Pacers have been linked to teams like the Rockets and the Lakers, who have these John Wall and Russell Westbrook expiring deals, where, yeah, for one season, that's not good for Indiana. If they trade away Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner, say, and they got back Russell Westbrook, they'd get worse. Which is saying something, because they weren't good. Although, they might get more games played out of the guy coming back, but from just an overall, what could they accomplish standpoint, that would be lower. From a ticket sales standpoint it probably doesn't change all that much and from a win-loss standpoint it actually probably doesn't change all that much either because of what we said before miles turner brock and brogdon those guys are hurt a lot and westbrook for all of his warts he's and the lakers let him play through whatever you know quad stuff they had been resting him on back-to-backs for a couple of seasons now he plays he's good enough to go from a health standpoint Will they do that? I don't know. Will there will a John Wall thing materialize? I don't know. Why would Indiana do that? Well, because then they get rid of the two extra years they've got to deal with Brogdon. Basically, they go from having 
whether you want to call it bad or good money, I don't mind the deal for Miles Turner. 18 million isn't that insane. Brogdon probably a bit overpaid at 22, but it's not all that bad either if he could just stay on the court. But what you've done now on the Indiana side is you've taken Brogdon's 65, 67-ish million dollars that's stretched out over three years. You jam all of it into one season. Basically, at, it, at that point, Indiana would sort of complete the rebuild almost entirely, quickly. T.J. Warren comes off the books this year, so they don't have to worry about that money anymore. That was 13 mil. Then you're talking about just Buddy Heald. If they made that move, that has anything bigger than about a $9 million contract two seasons from now. And his deal would be an expiring one that season anyway. Here's the problem that you always have to look at from, from that standpoint. Problem is, Tyrese Halliburton next year is signed for $4.5 million. Hell of a deal. Season after that, 5.8, team option, which you know damn well they're going to exercise as soon as they're eligible to do so. Then, Halliburton becomes a restricted free agent. And at that point, if you're Indiana, presumably, and we don't know how things develop, but right now it looks like Halliburton is on his way to being a very, very good NBA player, if he isn't already, Indiana's going to want to give him a reason to stick around. He's going to be, presumably, one of their core pieces. And if 2024 is really the this is when we get things rolling date, that's a long way off from now to try to convince your young star, okay, it's fine, hang with us here. Hey, hang with us, give us a chance. They've got a couple other interesting young guys. Isaiah Jackson is an interesting young guy, really liked what we saw out of him at the end of the year, super intriguing dynasty guy. Uh, Chris Duarte looked fine, not great, but fine. I thought Jalen Smith was an interesting acquisition, although he's actually off the books. So, you know, who cares, I guess, at that point. So Indiana's got to kind of kind of figure out what are they actually building around here? What, what are the main things that they want to control? Halliburton, for sure. Isaiah Jackson, for sure. Chris Duarte, probably for sure, I would say. And then it's kind of beyond those three guys, you kind of don't really know. What I think you can convince the young guys of in Halliburton, Duarte, Jackson, whoever, next year, this coming season, can be a bit of a tank year, whatever that means. Whether it's, again, sitting guys or unloading Brogdon's longer contract for a bigger, shorter one like a Russ or a John Wall, whatever that is, that's a pretty easy sales job. Hey, guys, look, we're not going to be much better next year, so let's hit the TNT, let's light the stick, throw it into the cave, Blow it up real quick as best we can. We we got like halfway there at the deadline this last year. We'll finish off what we got to do this offseason or mid this season. And then by 2023, it'll be TJ McConnell, who's on contract as the, you know, very solid backup point guard, who, mind you, could have an interesting spot on this team, depending on how the roster shakes out. Halliburton, Duarte, Jackson, maybe Goga Batadze still hanging around as a clunky backup center, whatever. But this coming season, you say, look, let's just, this is a growth year. We're going to feel each other out. Guys are going to work on their game. We'll try to win a few. But it's not that important. From a handicapping standpoint with the Pacers, we kind of have to look at what's coming next year from two different standpoints. Standpoint number one is what happens if they do 
move off of Brogdon and Miles Turner? And what happens if they keep them? Because all of this stuff is easier said than done. They don't want to just just move them for the sake of moving them. But, like, if you're, let's say you're the Lakers or the Rockets, you can approach it either way, and you have this very large expiring deal, that has now become a tradable asset. Hey, look, Indiana, you want your rebuild to happen in one and a half years instead of three? Like, we've got the guy for you. And they're going to be, and Indiana's going to be asking for picks as a throw-in because they know the Lakers want to compete right away. So each side thinks they have the leverage. When do they? Houston's probably a different one because Houston can say, "Look, you guys don't have leverage on us at all. We don't need whatever you're sending back our way. We're trying to lose anyway." That one's a tougher one. So presumably, India would. I think they'd they'd assume that they could get more out of the Lakers because the Lakers want to get a deal done more. Rockets kind of don't care either way. In fact, if it's the Rockets, they would probably be expecting picks coming back to help Indiana get off of their longer-term money. Maybe that's the path you take? I don't know. If you're Indiana, you probably don't want to do it that way. You'd probably rather go with the Lakers where you don't have to send picks back, and maybe you could even convince LA to send something your way. Either way, from a what-do-the-teams-need standpoint, it actually makes a lot of sense. But it's still a ton of money big-name players, none of that stuff happens quickly or overnight, even if it does make a lot of sense. This past season, Tyrese Halliburton played in 77 out of 82 games, and Buddy Heald played in 81 out of 82 games. Pretty remarkable. The guys that finished the year in Indiana, and by the way, Buddy Heald ended the season much better in Indiana than he was in Sacramento. Where was he in Indy? Like the last 20, 25 games of the year. Top 60 with the Pacers. Halliburton was a turn guy. He was on the turn in Indiana. 17 points, 10 assists, two threes, 2.4 defensive stats, 50% from the field, and 85 at the free throw line. But Malcolm Brogdon largely wasn't there. Played a little bit. Smattering of games here and there. That was mostly Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and a rotating cavalry of big men that Indy was just sort of demoing because Miles Turner wasn't there either. Halliburton has a chance to go overdrafted this year. If people think he's going to be the number 12 guy when Malcolm Brogdon is playing alongside him, it's just not going to happen because the usage is going to go down. Halliburton's not a guy who wants to go out there and take a crap ton of shots. He will if nobody else is around, but Brogdon would be around. That's a big usage guy to throw back into the mix. I still love Tyrese Halliburton. I think he probably goes in the second round this year. That'd be my guess. Mid to late second round. And I'm not that turned away by that, even if it does knock out a little bit of the per-game upside, or maybe all of it. But then you've got Buddy Heald, who with Indiana, again, like we mentioned, was more of a top 60 to 70 range guy as opposed to the 100 to 120 he was in Sacramento. And again, you have to assume some of the usage goes away with Brogdon probably playing there to start the year or whoever they bring in. So again, we have to look at this from two different standpoints. If it's not Brogdon, it would probably be John Wall or Russell Westbrook. Either any one of those guys is going to be a massive usage suck, even larger than Brogdon was. So yes, you can game plan this out two different ways. We can say, hey, what if it's Russ? What if it's John Wall? What if it's the Brogdon-Turner combo? Either way, 
What we saw at the end of last season, the very end, is that the two guards who were taking all the shots for Indy, Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, are going to have a usage hit against them. It's either going to be Brogdon, which is a medium-sized hit, or Russ John Wall, which would be a larger usage hit. Either way, there's a very real chance Halliburton gets overdrafted. On the other hand, I don't think people even really noticed how much Buddy Heald was doing with Indiana. I think there's a very real chance that despite his top 60 finish with the Pacers, he still gets drafted back towards the 80 to 110 range. Where exactly he goes in there, I don't know, but he's also proven himself to be one of the most durable players in the NBA. That's great for head-to-head. And if he can really shoot more like 42, 43, 44% instead of like 39 or whatever it dipped to for stretches in Sacramento, then he no longer becomes a roto suck on your percentages either and someone that can really rack up three-pointers for you. Gives you the opportunity to kind of shy away from a category that's less scarce now, but if you knock out a big chunk with one guy, that makes it easier to draft dudes elsewhere. But he too will have a usage hit, whoever comes back to play. The front court is equally confusing. If Miles Turner's around, presumably he would start the year playing, and he was awesome. Each of the last two years before injury, he was number 23? Is that right? I think he was a second rounder this year. I can double check. 24. Come on, close enough. In 42 games, so almost exactly half of the season. 13.7 boards, 51% from the field. That's nice. 2.8 blocks. He's always going to be among the league leaders in that category, if not the league leader. But can you trust him to actually get through the year? Yes, the calculus changes on Miles Turner if he's traded in the offseason. I still think that he's a guy who ends up getting moved at some point this year. And of course, the fear is, wherever he ends up, will he have the same gig? Will he be the starting center on a team that he goes to? I truly don't know. He feels like the kind of guy that could end up on the Clippers in like a three-way timeshare with Ivica Zubats and Isaiah Hartenstein. That's just the kind of weird thing that feels like it would emerge. Oh, yeah, the Clippers, they just came out of nowhere to get him. Another, like, above-average forward or wing. That's very much their MO. I don't know. I'm talking completely out of my you-know-what. But I just, I don't know, especially on the head-to-head side, I don't know how you draft these guys that are almost definitely on the trade block. Brogdon, too hurt. Turner, too hurt. These guys are just bad head-to-head buys. At least with Halliburton, even if he's overdrafted a little bit, he's probably going to play 70 out of 82 games or more next year. Great. That, that plays in head-to-head. Buddy Heald probably will be about accurately drafted for his per-game production. But again, the, the durability element, the 10th category, makes him a really safe head-to-head grab. Less interesting in Roto if he's like number 90 but super durable. We've talked about this before. It'd be better to have somebody you pick at 90 who's number 60 but misses 20 games because you can fill in the periphery with, like, top 110 range dudes. 62 games of a top 60 guy plus 20 games of a 110 guy is actually more valuable than 82 games out of a top 95 guy. Not by a ton because that 95 to 110 gap is notable, but the 95 to 60 gap is much larger, not just in number but also in value. Because the farther you work your way up the board, 
the harder it is to move up the board. The gap between each player gets bigger. All of this makes the Pacers really complicated. Isaiah Jackson is someone that I think if you're in a keeper league, you got to sit on him and guard him with your life. But will he have any role to start the year behind Miles Turner? That's a possibly no. He might again be one of those dudes that comes roaring on partway through if Miles is traded in December or January or February, heaven forbid. You guys know I hate sitting on dudes. But he's someone they definitely want to get minutes to. I just don't know how they do it unless they play Jackson and Turner alongside one another. I guess that's a possibility. Jackson ain't spacing the floor, so he'd be the guy closer to the rim on offense. What about defense? Can Jackson go block shots and collect rebounds if he's the power forward and not the center? Maybe. He did a little bit of that at the end of this year. This is the kind of stuff you do when you're going into tank mode. Is Rick Carlisle comfortable with that strategy of just trying stuff out. There are a ton of question marks on this Pacers team, but at the very least, we know they're going to cut it loose on offense because when the guys, and this is where we sort of roll it all back together, when the players were on the floor, the Pacers had a ton of fantasy value. Halliburton was awesome. Turner was awesome. Brogdon was great when he was healthy. Buddy Heald put up huge numbers there. TJ McConnell didn't. Something something was wrong. And then he had the arm stuff. Hand? Arm? I forget. Leg? Doesn't matter. Came back at the end of the year and actually looked pretty good. Chris Duarte put up some numbers, but he has that, call that the, the shooting guards fantasy line. It's really hard to have value as a shooting guard if you don't have a ton of usage. Jalen Smith put up value in his limited work. O'Shea Brissett, more of a points league option. Even Batadze had like two weeks where he put up numbers, and he's not good. Remember the week and a half that Lance Stevenson had value this year? The Pacers are a good fantasy team. But the problem is that right now, in late May, in offseason show number 32... Not knowing who's going to be on the team at the start of next year makes it really complicated. If you want to just mark a few things down in your notebook, because this is, I think, the best way to handle these types of episodes, and it's what we've been doing mostly, which is who are the players that you're kind of throwing onto the board and if, as if to say, hey, this is a guy to watch because there's a chance this dude ends up as a really nice grab. Of the names on the Pacers... And you kind of have to assume that they're all going to be there. Let's just assume that that's the roster for opening day, that Turner and Brogdon are both there. The guys that end up as interesting day one draft picks on the head-to-head side is really Buddy healed. It's probably it. I'd love to say TJ McConnell, but he's buried behind Brogdon and Halliburton now for ball handling duties. I mean, saw that didn't go all that great when everybody was healthy at the beginning of last year. So it's really just Heald and Halliburton. And even Halliburton, you're, you're banking on durability because he probably gets a tiny bit overdrafted. Head-to-head-wise, you're probably talking about, or per game, I should say, you're probably talking about more like a top 25 kind of guy with everybody healthy and playing. But again, if he clears... 69, 70 ball games, he probably beats his ADP on a, on a totals basis. Like this year, I mean, his totals value this season was nuts. 
77 ball games played. That's incredible. He was great. <sighs> so anyway, that's where you're at with Indiana. On the Roto side, where you're a little bit less concerned with per game product or with totals production, you're a little bit more concerned with per game. I might be inclined to take a look at Miles Turner because he probably gets drafted back of 55 or 60 again. And I know in 42 games, that didn't get him there. Believe it or not, though, in 42 games by totals, he was number 129. Like, he was actually a borderline 10-team startable guy, or 12-team startable guy, in half a season. That's how good he's been on a per-game basis. And as long as he's in Indiana, no one's taking his gig, especially now with Demonis Sabonis gone. You move that big rebounding vacuum out of the way, and suddenly Turner is even closer to the bucket. Even if Isaiah Jackson's out there, I don't care if Miles Turner effectively is the power forward on offense. That doesn't bother me at all. He becomes the last line of defense defensively, and there's like there's no one else to clog things up. Jackson's not going to clog things up like Sabonis did. Isaiah Jackson is a rim runner. He's not going to go take it in the post and jam things up. Well, Miles Turner is actually a very interesting roto grab, even if he gets traded in the middle of the season. Again, we're assuming in this discussion that he's there to start the year. If he gets traded 30, 40 games into the year, wherever he goes, he probably won't have that strong of a role. But you're talking, you know, fall back from like late second round, early third round production to what? Like top 60, top 70? And that's probably where he was getting picked anyway. And... If he's on a team that's trying to compete, he'd be more inclined to play. Like, I think that there is a very real chance he was going to come back this year, and then the team was like, meh, lotto balls. So, no, he's not a healthy player. Turner's missed a lot of time, and he's missed time in seasons where his team has been trying to win. But it hasn't been nearly as extreme as the last two years where the Pacers stunk when he played 47 out of 72 and 42 out of 82 this year. He's always been a little bit dinged up other than his sophomore year. He played 81 out of 82 games. Next year, he missed 17. Year after that, he missed eight. Not bad. Year after that, he missed 10, the COVID year. It's not that bad. And then it got really rough when Indiana went into the pooper. Take the Pacers back out of the toilet, or rather... In this particular case, take Miles Turner off of a team headed into the toilet. And he probably gets back into the 60s. And if he plays mid-60s, low to mid-60s in games, and beats his ADP on a per-game basis by three to four rounds, Roto side, that'll do. Do like the ending of Babe here on the podcast. That'll do, Miles. I'm telling you. All right, a lot, a lot, a lot to track with Indiana, but those are a few things to look for. Of course, the Indiana article on the Fantasy Pass side came out over the weekend. We're running behind them now, and that's just the way it's going to be. Shout out once again to JP and Joe over on the football and baseball sides, respectively. Once again, please do follow Ethos Fantasy BB and FB for baseball and football. Those are the letters you're looking for in case it's hard to hear on a podcast. I am Dan Bespris. Still off season rolls on. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. Enjoy Warriors Mavs if you can. If not, who cares? There's another one tomorrow. Later. <laughs>